Good morning, everyone. Um, so my name is Maria, and like Annie said, um, I'm part of the staff team here at Restored Uptown. And normally, as a church, we teach expositionally through books of the Bible, verse by verse. But for the last few weeks, we have been doing a thematic series called Salt and Light. And this series is rooted in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, where he compares the church, his community, to salt and light. And what we have talked about is that salt and light, they impact the things that come into contact with them. And in the same way as we live out our faith and our walk with Jesus, we are called to be a community that impacts the places that we occupy and the people that we encounter. So, based on Jesus' teaching, we have been asking the question, what is the impact that we should be having as the church on the world around us? And how does he call us to make that kind of impact practically? In previous weeks, we talked about different practical ways um, that we can be salty to the world around us. A few weeks ago, um, Jackie Rogers taught on hospitality and what it can look like to welcome people into our lives as a means of introducing them to Jesus. And Andy Rogers taught on provocative living um, and what it looks like to be the kind of person and live the kind of life that people are drawn to. In other words, living out a transformed life. And just last week, Royce Nicholas taught on our work or vocation, how we can use the 90,000 hours that we will spend at work in our lifetime to live out our faith. And so today, as we continue in this series, I want to dive into the next aspect of being salt and light, which is our pursuit of the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In other, words, how, in other words, it is how we are learning to live the way that Jesus lived, not just believe what Jesus believed. I mean, was there anyone who was better at being salt and light during their life on this earth than Jesus? Spoiler alert, the answer is no. I know some of you were like, maybe Justin Bieber, but not close, guys. And as we ponder um, the different ways that we've been exploring how to be salt and light throughout this series, series, honestly, like Jesus takes the cake. He embodied these realities and lived out what we have been describing perfectly. For example, no one has been more hospitable and welcoming towards outsiders and the excluded more than Jesus. No one has lived a more beautiful, provocative life that forced people to ask questions like Jesus. No one was clear on the work that God had entrusted them to do and was faithful to not only do that work, but to give God the glory for that work like Jesus. Royce, you would have been proud. Um, no one walked at a grace pace doing exactly what the Father called them to do as a human with limitations they chose to submit to like Jesus. And no one talked about God and life with God. In other words, no one evangelized better than Jesus did. And now, all of this is true, and you might be thinking, well, Maria, he's Jesus and I'm me. And that's fair. However, <laughs> I'm not here today to advocate for being perfect like Jesus missionally. But I think we can minister like Jesus more than we realize. 
because Jesus had a secret to his earthly ministry that you and I can absolutely learn from and experience. You see, before Jesus healed the sick or evangelized or prophesied or fed the hungry or delivered people from dark spiritual forces or welcomed radically broken people to eat with him, he made sure to pursue and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 1, verses 12 through 20. And let's go ahead and read Mark 1, beginning in verse 12. It says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He, the he here is Jesus, was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. And after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So in this text, we see Jesus overcome the temptation of Satan in the desert to abandon his mission. We see the preaching of the gospel for the first time. We see him picking his disciples, his first ministry team, the crew he would build the church on. And if you keep reading just Mark chapter 1, you will see him cast a demon out of a man and heal like loads more people. And those are all important, difficult things Jesus is doing that impact us. He get, if he gives into temptation and sins, he can't be the perfect sacrifice that we need. We have all been brought into God's kingdom and family through the preaching of the gospel. And that very gospel came to you through followers of Jesus who are connected by an unbroken chain of people back to the first disciples that Jesus picked like 2,000 years ago. That being said, where did Jesus find the wisdom to pick such important disciples? Where did he find the power to resist temptation like this? Where did he get the power to heal people? I believe that the answer is found in Mark 1 right before the text we just read. So all of that action was preceded by what we find in two verses earlier in Mark 1, 9 through 11. So let's read in verse 9. It says, In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. In this text, we see that when Jesus was sent out into the world to be salt and light, he was sent with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it is still the same way today. So when God sends us out into the world to be salt and light, he sends us in the same way that he sent Jesus, in the power and the presence of the Holy 
spirit. So there's a famous anecdote about John Wimber, um, a pastor and founder of the Vineyard Church Movement, shortly after he came to faith. So after three weeks of being at church for the first time and not having seen any of the miracles um, done that he had read about in the Bible, he went up to one of the leaders and asked, when do they do it? And the leader answered, do what? And Wimber replied, you know, like, the stuff. And the leader was like, what stuff? <laughs> and Wimber continued, you know, like the stuff in the, in the Bible. And the leader was confused, and he was like, what do you mean? And Wimber said, well, you know, like the multiplying the fishes and loaves and casting out demons and prophesying and feeding the hungry and all that stuff. Like, when do they do that? And the penny dropped for the leader. He's like, oh, we don't do that. We believe in it. We pray about it, but we don't do it. And as you can imagine, Wimber was like super disappointed. He's like, you don't understand. I gave up drugs for this. <laughs> and so this catches the heart of the kind of people that we should eagerly desire to be. People who want to learn to do the stuff, to live like Jesus lived, not just believe what Jesus believed. And we believe that anyone can learn to live the kind of life that Jesus did. It's not limited to just elders or pastors. This kind of life, a spirit-empowered way of being salt and light to the world is for everyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus. So how do we pursue the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to go and be salt and light to our world? I am so glad that you asked because <laughs> Jesus actually anticipated that this would be the life of his disciples after him. In John 14, 12, we see Jesus telling his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And so today, in light of that, I want to talk about how we pursue the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in order to be salt and light to the world around us. And the three ways that we can experience the Holy Spirit's power and presence is by one, pursuing God's direction, two, paying attention to people, and three, praying with and for people. So again, the three ways that we can experience the Holy Spirit's power and presence is by one, pursuing God's direction, two, paying attention to people, and three, praying with and for people. And so my first point today is that to experience the Holy Spirit's presence and power, we need to pursue God's direction. So Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So not only do we know that God is speaking and desires to speak to us, but also that he's given us the ability to discern his voice and to hear him for ourselves, but also for others. God speaks to us through various ways. So first and foremost, like through the scriptures. Now, in addition to the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in other ways that never contradict the scriptures, but brings their wisdom and teaching to life in a personal and intimate way. 
For example, the spirit might speak to us through a conversation with a friend, through a gut feeling or intuition, through a still small voice in our hearts, or through dreams and pictures and nature. So God uses all different types of ways to communicate to us. So last week, for example, um, I was having coffee with a gal in Balboa Park, and we were talking about this very idea of hearing God's voice and the ways that God speaks to us. And behind her, um, in classic Balboa Park form, there was a man playing piano behind her. And I felt like God spoke to me in that moment. And I shared with her how the man playing the piano was just like the person who was learning to practice hearing God's voice. The musician, he didn't begin by knowing how to play melodies and harmonies. He likely started off learning to play the piano by just locating and playing middle C. And then eventually he learned some more notes and then an entire line of musical notes and then multiple lines of notes. And then one day with a little more ease than when he began, he could play a whole song. And in the same way, with listening to God, we all begin by familiarizing ourselves with his voice by learning to listen. And then over time, we grow in our confidence and our awareness that God speaks to us and that we can actually discern his voice in order to respond. And if you're interested in this, there are two books we would recommend. One is a simpler book called How to Hear God by Pete Gregg. And a more academic book is by ex-USC philosophy professor and spiritual director, Dallas Willard, called Hearing God. Again, that's Pete Gregg's How to Hear God, and then Dallas Willard's book called Hearing God. So listening and responding to God, it actually doesn't have to be complicated. It can be as simple as waking up every morning and asking, like, Holy Spirit, is there anyone I can bless today? And I would actually challenge you to do that. Ask, like, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want me to do today? Can you give me a name or a face that I can pray for throughout my day? And then see what happens. Ask the Holy Spirit consistently what he wants you to do, and then assume and expect that God is going to speak. And then when he does, he will likely speak about the people that are already in your life. Which leads me to my second point. It's that to experience the Holy Spirit's presence and power, we need to pay attention to people. So when we slow down our lives and and we begin to see people in our lives as people in need of blessing and people that God might want to bless, it changes the way we pay attention and the way that we engage with them. So we must slow down. We have to be interruptible and we have to pay attention to the people around us so that we can listen for the Holy Spirit as he guides us. So in John 4, there's a famous story about Jesus' encounter with a woman who is a racial minority and an outcast. She has looked to men for a source of love, security, and validation, and they have all failed her. She is quite literally looking for love in all the wrong places. So Jesus is traveling from Galilee to Judea with his disciples. And the story says that Jesus, having been on a long journey, he was tired. So he stopped to get a drink of water at a well in Samaria where he meets this woman. And it's essentially like striking up a convo at a gas station on a long road trip. But he makes the most of the moment. 
because Jesus, being Jesus, engages in conversation with her. He talks to her about her life. She's kind of ashamed and avoidant. And in the midst of this conversation, he gets what the Bible calls a word of knowledge, a piece of information about her life that he would have not known except by the Holy Spirit revealing it to him. And he shares this word of knowledge with her, this information about her husband, and it's accurate and it's powerful and it becomes a catalyst for her belief that Jesus was the Messiah, the savior of the world. And she's so impacted by this encounter with Jesus that the text tells us that she went back into town and told all the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And people followed her out of the town where Jesus was to meet him for themselves. And John chapter 4, verse 39 through 42, captures this effect of Jesus paying attention to this woman. So let's read John 4, 39 through 42. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, in, in Jesus, because of what the woman said when she testified, He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. What we see is that Jesus taking the time to pay attention to and bless this woman became a catalyst both for her and for the people who were already in her life to experience Jesus. And most of you here today are like the Samaritan woman in that you have had your own encounter and experience with the radical grace of Jesus. And remember, you were able to have that experience likely because someone in proximity to you was a witness to you of the power of the Holy Spirit to transform someone's life. Now, if you're here today and you have not experienced the transformative power of the gospel for yourself, I or one of the elders would love to pray for you or connect with you at the end of gathering today. And we'd love to share more with you about what the gospel is and how Jesus transforms our life because of it. Now, for those of us who have already experienced the power of the gospel, there are likely people in proximity to you right now that God has called you to and intentionally placed around you for you to bless and pay attention to. So most of you know that I live with Andy and Jackie Rogers, and sometimes uh, throughout the week I pick up the kids from school, and all the moms usually hang out and chat while the kids play on the playground. And to be honest, guys, I don't know what else to call it other than I mom out with these moms. I'm mom hard with these ladies, okay? <laughs> and in January, um, I ended up in conversation with a mom who had a hard story of having been a missionary and a pastor's kid who also had happened to live in India for three and a half years, um, the same amount of time that I did before I moved to San Diego. And now she was in a season of life where it seemed like she was deconstructing. Um, she wasn't sure what beliefs from her Christian past she actually believed in. So we got to chatting, and honestly, most of what I did was listened. 
And I felt so much empathy because she was someone who had experienced a lot of hard things in her life and was asking a lot of really phenomenal questions about her experiences and her faith. And a few weeks later, we ended up grabbing coffee. And then a few weeks later, we grabbed drinks. And then um, a few weeks later, I had dinner with her, her and her family. And each of these moments, there was opportunity to listen and create space for God to speak. And a couple of those times, I actually felt that the Holy Spirit gave me prophetic pictures that I was able to share with her. And she seemed really grateful when I did share those with her. And then at Easter, we experienced a Resurrection Sunday miracle <laughs> because her and her family actually came to Easter service here at Restored. And it was the first time they had stepped into a church gathering in over two years. And they had a beautiful time and they felt so loved by this church. And their kids felt so loved by the kids and volunteer kids ministry and, and the volunteers in kids ministry. And I know that it was a redemptive church experience for them. And one that affirmed my belief that God was and is pursuing this woman and her family. And I even had a conversation with her recently, and she's genuinely open to the possibility that God might one, one day soon be calling her and her family back into a church community. Now, before you think that it was me who did something special all by myself, you should know that before I ever met this gal, before I shared any prophetic words with her, God had already placed other amazing women from this church in her life. She was already curious about this church family. She told me that she saw Jesus and the women at this church that had befriended her over the last year. The Holy Spirit had already been placing people in her life who were paying attention. And I just happened to cross paths with her in a moment when she was tuned into her deconstruction and her questions, and I was able to listen. And listening might not sound like much, but it's much, much more fruitful <laughs> than the alternatives when you think about it. For example, we could have blown her off because her deconstruction stuff made us uncomfortable or anxious. We could have kept our conversations short or shallow. We could have argued with her, trying to prove to her logically that following Jesus is the better way of life. We could have left the playground or not engaged in conversation because we were too busy to notice her. But because she was a person that we saw that God was drawing to himself, we were inclined to pay attention. When we begin to see people in our lives as people in need of blessing and people that God might want to bless, we will be inclined to pay attention and then to also pray for people. All around us, Every day, there are people who are only one conversation or one moment away from experiencing God through prayer through the people in this room. It could be the barista at the coffee shop you frequent, your coworkers you see on the days you go into your office, like Royce told you guys last week, you know, go back into your office, fam. <laughs> um, the people at your gym, your barber or hairdresser, your neighbors with the cute dog, the moms and dads and teachers at your kid's school. All of these people are people that God put in your life intentionally for you to bless and pay attention to. People that could experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit through you. Which leads me to my third and final point. The third way that we can experience the Holy Spirit's presence and power as we seek to be salt and light is to pray for and with people. And I don't mean in secret. 
I mean praying for them on the spot. We need to move past our cultural, I'll pray for you, that can unfortunately just often mean, I wish you all the best. Now, please keep telling people you'll pray for them and do it. But I do want to challenge you to shift your prayers to praying for people in person on the spot. And that might feel intimidating or scary, but the people around you are probably more receptive and open to receiving prayer than you think. Over the years, I've noticed that very few non-Christians want to debate theology or listen to me share the gospel. However, almost no one ever turns me down when I ask if I can pray for them. I mean, especially in Uptown, guys. Like, everyone is spiritual here. Everyone. (laughs) So there are people all around you hurting and scared who are in transition, experiencing loss, facing a personal crisis, or people who are just tired and you probably won't have to guess like people all around you all the time show you that they have needs when they get frustrated you can pray for them when they come into work sad or off or discouraged you can pray for them when they're experiencing hard moments you can pray for them you could basically become your office or family or neighborhood chaplain Like, you become known for praying for people, and it's something you consistently do. According to the dictionary, a chaplain is a member of the clergy attached to a private chapel, institution, ship, branch of the armed forces, or hospital. So a chaplain is essentially a pastor in a non-church environment. So chaplains exist because over time, hospitals notice that in times of crisis, people who don't normally ask for prayer ask for prayer. People who don't have a pastor of their own because they don't belong to a church, they feel like they need like a person of God to help them in their time of need. So they call for a chaplain. If you are following Jesus, you are filled with his spirit. This church um, believes in the priesthood of all believers, which means you are the person of God in your space and sphere of influences. Congratulations. What if you made a habit of asking people if you could pray for them? You know, get consent and then praying with them in the moment if they were cool with it. What might happen? And over time, the impact, it'll come. People will feel cared for and they'll feel blessed And the great thing is that because you pray for them, you are automatically disclosing that you're a Christian and it makes the moment already feel spiritual without having to be harsh or even pushy. It doesn't have to be an overhyped moment and you don't have to conjure up any emotional intensity yourself. You just pray for them. Thank God for who they are. Ask God to bless them. And then let God be God. Your role is simply creating a moment or a space for God to move in the life of the person in front of you. That's all. Whether they're encouraged, feel loved, experience supernatural healing, or you accidentally cast out a demon, that's all up to Jesus. (laughs) So speaking of supernatural healing, I don't know how often you pray for healing, but I want to challenge you to do it more often. We don't presume that God will always heal, but he often does respond to prayers for healing. So I've had some close encounters with physical healing personally that really encouraged me. 
When I was younger, um, I traveled down to these islands down in the country of Panama for a couple months with a group of young people from all over the U.S. We took this six-hour canoe ride out to this island with literally nothing but water in sight. Thatch roofs, open fires, the whole jungle vibe in the middle of the ocean. And the first day, we're on this island going door-to-door or hut-to-hut reading scriptures and praying with people, doing the missionary thing when we show up at this old lady's house. Her daughter comes out and asks us to pray for her mom right there and then. She says her mom has been blind since birth and wants to know if our God can heal her. Now, the super charismatic, passionate people in the room were stoked. But me, uh, at this point in my walk with Jesus, I don't even know if I believed in the Trinity, let alone that Jesus still did miracles, like in my time, in my day, on an island, in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) Um, And to be honest, I was challenged by the people's faith around me, but I was probably more skeptical and freaked out than anyone else in the room. We prayed for the woman, but nothing happened. So we came back the next day, and nothing happened. We came back the third day, and you know what happened? Nothing happened. I remember getting ready to walk back to this lady's hut on day four, and we were actually scheduled to leave the island the next day, and I felt awkward going to pray for her. Had we gotten her hopes up just to leave her exactly the same way? But we did. We went back and prayed for her one more time. And God, on this fourth day, he had mercy on this woman, blind since birth, on a tribal island in the middle of the ocean. He moved in a really special way, and he healed her completely. So imagine, for decades, she hasn't been able to see. She doesn't know what her family looks like. She doesn't know what her daughter looks like. She lives on an island, and she doesn't know what the ocean looks like. And all of a sudden, in a moment, the blind regains her sight, and then on top of that, the reason she can see is because of a man named Jesus. Now, it's true that when we pray for healing, we're not guaranteed the person will be healed, but we tend to have more prayers for healing answered when we actually pray prayers for healing. But I want to let you in on a little secret. It's not always about the healing. It's also about hurting people, experiencing Jesus' love through you as you pray. So two years ago, um, when I was preaching, I used that same story. I know some of you were thinking just now, the whole old blind lady on an island story. I've heard this one before. Um, But... Anyways, like I was saying, two years ago, I was preaching about how God blew my mind by healing that blind woman. And when I shared it, I felt this burden to pray for someone who has experienced a physical health challenge for some time. I felt that night after I had shared this story that God was asking me to pray for this person, but I was so nervous and anxious because I didn't really know them. I didn't want them to feel awkward, and I was wrestling with my own fears about the outcome of my prayers. I don't know if this person considers themselves to be a follower of Jesus or what their spiritual journey has been. What if I'm another person who prays for them and nothing happens? What if my praying for them leaves them feeling more cynical about God if they aren't healed? 
It sounds so irrational now, but there can be a temptation to think that we are responsible for the outcome of our prayers. But we're not. We are simply called to love people and be obedient and to respond to these promptings from God's spirit to pray for people. So that night, I was leaving an event and everyone was leaving. And coincidentally, the person I felt like I was supposed to pray for happened to be parked behind me. And I was like, okay, Maria, game face, now's the time. (laughs) And so I went up to them and asked if I could pray for physical healing for them. And they graciously agreed. So I prayed for them and it felt like nothing really happened. And we had a short convo after, and then I left. But a few days ago, this person said, I will always remember that time you prayed for me last year. And they referenced that night when we prayed. They said, when we were praying, I felt really connected to something, like I was still, but I was on the ocean. And they went on to share that this experience, which they attribute to God's spirit, was like an aha-like moment for them of connection to the Holy Spirit for them that has impacted their walk with Jesus to this day. And I didn't even know about it until like three days ago. So how cool is that? You never know what God will do when you step out and let him use you. There's a spiritual director and seminary professor named Terry Wardle who teaches on praying for people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he basically says different people believe different things regarding what happens when you pray for people. So some people, like hypercharismatic people, often believe that every time you pray, everything happens. For example, if you pray for physical healing, it'll always happen. Other people maybe more cynical, disenchanted millennials, often believe that every time you pray, nothing happens. Like every time you pray for healing, it's going to be a letdown. But the scriptures teach that every time you pray, something happens. You just aren't always sure what it's going to be. It might not even be exactly what you are praying for. For example, You might be praying for physical healing and God gives a person a spiritual encounter with his love that feels like the ocean. You're like, okay, cool, you know? So the simple act of positioning yourself and your life in a way to intentionally pray for people on the spot will change your life and it's going to impact others. And your life it will likely not be boring because, because God will meet people where they're at through your prayers. They'll be blessed and your own faith in God will grow. The nudging or the desire to pray for and with others is likely not from yourself or the devil, but from God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor and theologian, once said, never resist any urge to pray end quote. It is God who draws us to pray. It is God who grants us and those we pray for an invitation to experience the Holy Spirit's presence and power through prayer. 